And then once the local recording is in fact begun, then we play the music. That's it, it's over. Then we organize the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda. The event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like a sort of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment. All right, on with it. Welcome to the Radical Agenda. It's a show about timeless ideas and news of the day and whatever's on your mind at 217-688-1433. Yes, this agenda is quite radical and welcome to it. This 45th episode of the Sixth Stage of the Pogrom. Today is December 8th, 2023 is the current year. It's a Friday as usual. We are coming to you live once again from my undisclosed location where, ladies and gentlemen, Fine members of the gender binary, as I'm fond of saying. That's all of you, by the way. You guys know that. Some people, they haven't figured that out yet. I woke up this morning quite satisfied with myself. I'm entirely honest, entirely honest with you. I, uh, I had written what was to be today's opening monologue of more than 4,000 words very early yesterday morning. You might say the night before, as it were. I was quite impressed with what I had produced, especially given that the prior morning I had penned another 4,000 words or so that was so good, I had to print it out, put a stamp on it, and mail it to my parents. Is that good? I can't wait to share it with you. I'm going to have to. But, you know, it's very difficult for me to endure the wait is what I mean to say. So this morning I didn't have any of my normal, you know, show day routines of scrambling to come up with something to talk about for the evening. No revolver, no drudge report, no seeking inspiration. I had my monologue. I could pull up news fodder anytime before 9.30, and so long as I had that fire-opening monologue prepared, I had no time pressures for so far show prep. So I took it easy, save for like some abdominal exercises I was doing, and instead of sitting in my chair between those sets... I took to my bed, and I fine-tuned a few things on a laptop I've been meaning to get to. I banged out 3,000 words about gaming and game streaming, fired off a couple emails. And then I get a text message, and as soon as I see who it's from, I know that my day has taken a turn for the worse. It's Jason Kessler. Since I have been released from prison, those of you who've been paying attention, you know this. I have made a very sincere effort to put strict limits on the amount of conflict that I engage in, particularly among other dissident right personalities. Even when the other party is wrong, even when I might do some good by raising an alarm, even when I despise the person, I am hyper-conscious of efforts by those who have none of our interests at heart to turn us against one another. This, of course, to see the most possible damage inflicted upon our movement with the least risk and effort accrued to them. I think I can safely say that the only people I have made exceptions to this rule for are Andrew Anglin, Weave, Nick Fuentes, and Jason Kessler. Of these, it might be said that Jason Kessler warrants the most negative attention. 
He is by no means the most malicious of these examples and certainly not the most capable. Indeed, what makes Jason dangerous is precisely the fact that he comes across as a socially awkward fool whose many disasters might be summed up to the errors of a bumbling idiot. This allows him to get second, third, fourth, and fifth chances from people who wrongly assume that he has the best of intentions and otherwise would not tolerate the malice that he demonstrates on a routine basis. This allows him to inflict the maximum possible damage on those who are so unfortunate as to come into contact with him and universally, without fail, all those who come into contact with Jason Kessler come out worse for the experience. It is because of this that I have taken this extraordinary step of devoting an entire opening monologue to warning you about one otherwise wholly insignificant man and delayed by at least one week the release of something truly wonderful which I am very proud of and very much anxious to share. Though one need not be a regular Radical Agenda listener to know the name Jason Kessler and those who follow the show know the name all too well, it is still yet prudent that we begin at the time that most people would have heard that name first. This being in the lead-up to the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia of August of 2017. This was when I first heard of Jason. If memory serves, he was introduced to me by Augustus Invictus, though I hold my lawyer friend blameless for this. Jason was something of a figurehead for the Unite the Right rally, but the organization had appropriately been yanked from his hands well prior to the event. He was not capable of managing something of that caliber, and the people around him understood this all too well. When one spends a few minutes talking to Jason, this becomes painfully evident. He does not particularly care to understand the subjects he discusses. As a notable example, he posted to Telegram on September 8th of 2023 that he was, quote, belatedly trying to understand a lot of history related to Jewish power in the 21st century. To do this six years subsequent to the Unite the Right rally seems belated indeed. That never stopped Jason from talking about this subject prior to doing the research, of course. He would simply parrot those things he heard from others as a means to mimic a pattern of speech and try to fit in with a crowd. He does this with everything in his life, mimicking the behavior of people he sees in an effort to obtain the results he desires. To the extent that there is any innovation involved, it is to, comb- is to, it is to attempt to combine patterns of behavior that he observes in others. He often lacks any understanding of what he is saying and doing. He is only acting out the behavior that he observes. This sometimes causes Jason to take tremendous risks, and to the uninformed observer, this can make Jason appear to be a very brave man. There was a time when I admired his courage until I realized that Jason is psychologically incapable of making accurate threat assessments. He would simply walk into crowds of violent Antifa criminals and say the things most likely to anger them. To observe this, you might at first think it is a very masculine thing to do, but one day I observed his behavior in a way that shed new light on the matter. As Jason was on video having a verbal altercation with these criminals, his phone was violently knocked from his hand by one of his assailants. He took his eyes off of the threat to grab the phone off the ground without any hesitation and made no effort to track the people around him as he did this. With his phone back in his hand, he continued to argue as if no danger existed. Men got behind him while he argued with women and he paid the men no mind. 
It then occurred to me that Jason was not knowingly facing down danger, but that Jason had no idea that he was in danger. Understanding this phenomenon brings great clarity to all that Jason does. It is often said that he is on the spectrum, and while I am in no position to make a specific diagnosis, it is very clear that Jason does very poorly with social cues as a general matter, and it is congenitally incapable of improving upon this deficiency. Any observation of Jason's social media will reveal that he is profoundly discontent with all of his relationships, all of them. He invariably blames these problems on others. In the six years that I have known him, not once have I ever seen him take the blame for anything ever, except with the notable exception of taking the blame for associating himself with the people whom he blames. It does not seem to occur to him at all that he is the only constant feature in a very diverse and very lengthy history of catastrophic failures. It is not as a consequence of today's unpleasant exchange that I mention this. I said this all the way back on June 28, 2018, in a blog post titled, Follow Jason Kessler at Your Peril. Jason was at this time trying to organize a second Unite the Right rally. At first, I was supportive of this effort because I despised the cowardice of those who said that we needed to get off the streets just because criminals were attacking us when we showed up. Violent opposition is a predictable phase on the path to power, and men who lack the stomach to brave it are unfit to govern. But it was during this time that I observed Jason's incident with the phone, and though I had quite enough on my plate, it was a common enough occurrence at that time for people to come to me for guidance about what to do as other movement leaders proved incapable of withstanding the pressures brought to bear against us in the wake of the rally. Some of the best people this movement has ever seen are names that you will never know, and those people devoted themselves to helping Jason Kessler pull off this second event. His incapacity for self-reflection and his wholly unwarranted arrogance make a volatile concoction when mixed with his quick temper. Those hardworking, intelligent, and capable people sought nothing in return for their diligent efforts. Not money, not recognition, only the satisfaction of service to a worthwhile cause. We are unfortunate not to be able to tell you their names and put their faces on posters because they genuinely represent the best that any political movement can ask for in an adherent. In an adherent. Those excellent people could not put up with his ineptitude and abusive subordinates. They came to me asking what to do, and though I at first asked that they endure, it eventually came to pass that I could no longer ask this of them while remaining of clear conscience. Though others had done so many times prior, it was at this point I felt compelled to issue my first public warning about Jason Kessler on June 28th of 2018. And in that blog post titled, Follow Kessler at Your Peril, which is currently paywall content at ChristopherCantwell.net, which you can access if you have a SurrealPolitics.com member account, I said, among other things, this. Speak privately with any other organizer of UTR1, and they will tell you that working with Jason Kessler is a nightmare. Talk to Jason, and he will say the same of them. I see no reason to settle the dispute. It would seem all parties are equally correct. 
I relied on them, and look at what happened to me. Since my release, Jason has repeatedly called me, voicing frustration with movement figures and those who have attempted to help him in organizing UTR2. I'll not name names, but suffice it to say that at least two of the most dedicated behind-the-scenes people have bailed on Jason in utter despair at his handling of matters. The importance of the work that these people have done cannot be overstated. I might still be in jail without them. So thin has become the manpower at Jason's disposal, he has someone who I will simply say is not a white male handling some upper management position. When it is mentioned to Jason that this indicates a problem for his white nationalist demonstration, he goes into a fit about not being a racist. <clears throat> Still, any of this might be overcome, save for the only deal-breaker which I will now finally communicate. Jason is incapable of processing constructive criticism. Any effort to point out any flaw in anything he does is received as an attack, and he instantly becomes irrationally defensive. Anyone reading this who has any leadership experience whatsoever immediately recognizes this as a catastrophic flaw in someone who should not seek to manage anything so perilous as a bake sale. But this is no bake sale. This is an attempt to repeat a controversial political demonstration which is vehemently opposed by a corrupt government and violent criminals, the first incarnation of which already erupted into lethal violence, unprecedented media hysteria, and previously unimaginable abuses of our legal system. We need men who are brave enough to continue on in the face of just such adversity. I applaud the courage of all those who are willing to do so, and in time we will find a righteous application for your valor. However, my conscience compels me to warn you that if you follow Jason Kessler in this mess in just a few short weeks, I fear your virtues may be wasted on the most predictable failure of the century. The thought that men would put their lives in danger to follow this man was just too much for me. If Jason cannot handle hard-working volunteers who do the tedious and inglorious things, he could certainly not be trusted to leave lead brave men to danger. The UTR event occurred, sorta. A handful of people got together in Washington, D.C., many miles from Charlottesville, where he planned to hold it. Instead of being framed by the media as a menace to society, it was mocked as pitiful, and this was by no means just one of their many deceptions. Though one could occupy volumes discussing Jason's many errors and malicious acts, time constraints force us to fast forward. At the civil trial that bore his name, Sines v. Kessler, in the Western District of Virginia before Judge Moon, Jason promptly threw his co-defendants under the bus, deriving precisely zero benefit from these shameful displays and having precisely zero reason to believe that any benefit stood to be gained. Jason's own words were the most damning of any uttered at that trial. Trying to blame the event on others was a preposterous strategy. Only by demonstrating that no conspiracy existed would we have stood any chance of victory, and men who are trying to blame things on other people are thereby implying that there is guilt to be found somewhere. I don't know how much of this I'm actually going to bother to read aloud, but it just gets worse and worse and worse. I spent much of the afternoon uh, uh, copying and pasting and editing 
from the trial transcripts where Jason was questioned by the plaintiff's counsel in the Sines v. Kessler trial. I wish I had audio of this. Question. So in the post, Mr. Kessler, you begin by saying at everyone. So you direct your post to every single person in the hashtag alt-right events project server. Do you see that? Now, this is they're talking about discord here. Yes, ma'am. Quote, bring in the alt-right Proud Boys stickman, Domingo Spencer, and fight this shit out. You see that? Yes, ma'am. All right, and Nathan D'Amigo, the jury has heard, has become nationally known for this time for punching a counter-protester that you refer to as Moldylocks. Answer, I don't know what he has or hasn't done. He did punch a woman that was referred to as Moldylocks, yes. And Stickman is Kyle Chapman, who had also become known for striking a counter-protester with a leaded stick. You know that, right? Answer, yes, he got into some fights in Berkeley. Question, and he's called Stickman because he hit someone with a leaded stick, right? You know that, right? Answer, yes. Question, and you say that we should bring them in and fight this shit out. You see that? Answer, yes, ma'am. Question, and you go on to say the Antifa are totally disrespecting us and the media is playing the mayor's fiddle, just like in Berkeley. The city council is directly tied to Antifa. I think we need to have a publicized event this time. They bring everything they've got and we do too. You see that, right? Yes, ma'am. And when you say they bring everything they've got, you're referring to Antifa, correct? A, answer, yes. The the violent left-wing extremists Question, and you wanted Antifa to bring everything that they've got. You see that, right? That's what you're saying. Yes, they do that always. Question, and you're saying that's your idea. They bring everything they've got, and you say we do too. And when you say we do too refers to the alt-right, correct? Answer, yes, to the permitted demonstration, we will defend ourselves. He is interrupted. Thank you, Mr. Kessler. Your counsel will have the court intervenes here. The answer, you answered the question. Go ahead. Question, and you wanted the event to be publicized. In all caps, you write that. You see that? Answer, yes, ma'am. And so you would also agree, would you not, that if there was fighting in the streets, you would create more publicity? Answer, it would probably, yeah. Question, all right, let's show Mr. Kessler, Plaintiff's Exhibit 551. So, Mr. Kessler, you'll realize this is a, you'll recognize this as a Discord post from May 20th, the day before your previous post, the post that we just saw. Do you see that? Yes. Question. All right. I, and I assume you agree that you went by Mad Dimension on Discord. Answer. Right. Question. Sometimes you also went by Zebo, right? Answer. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> Question. So in this post, which is the day before you propose an event where we fight the shit out, you wrote, quote, the alt-right is a dangerous movement. It feeds on the chaos energy of our unchecked racism bans, but in real-life activism, that's real life, you have to be more like a civil rights movement for whites. It's difficult to say that you can contain that magic, I'm sorry, manic energy and maintain the enthusiasm. You say, quote, I'm not really sure, but I wonder about it. I would go to the ends of the earth to secure a future for my people with or without the funny bans. This is war, end quote. Do you see that you said that? Answer, yes, ma'am. <clears throat> Question, and bants refers to banter or joking, right? Answer, exactly. It's like lulls? Yes. And you didn't need jokes, Mr. Kessler. You didn't need the bants because this was serious to you, correct? Answer, I don't, I'm not really clear on what you mean. Question, 
What I mean is you said I would go to the ends of the earth to secure a future for my people with or without the funny bands. Answer. Well, what I'm saying is the alt-right has a lot of edgy humor online, and I think it's counterproductive. That's why I was saying I think it's better for us to be a civil rights movement for whites. So I was discouraging doing the racist humor that they do online. I was saying we need to drop that and be serious. Question. Right. Exactly. You didn't need the bans for this. For you, this was war. That's what you said. Answer. That's what I said. Yeah. Question. And the day before your post about fighting this shit out, you say the alt-right is a dangerous movement. You see that you said that? Answer. Yes. All right, Mr. Spaulding, let's show Mr. Kessler Plaintiff's Exhibit 1395, please. So, Mr. Kessler, you recall that initially you had a secret Facebook chat group called uh, pl to plan Charlottesville 2.0. A answer. Secret. So by saying secret, you make it sound like people normally publicize their chats to everybody on the Internet. I didn't have I did have a chat group. Question, Mr. Kessler, do you recognize this plaintiff's exhibit 1395 is a text message that you sent on June 5th to someone named Baked Alaska? Answer, yes. Miss Dunn, okay, move to admit 1395. Court, be admitted. And Mr. Kessler, in this text of June 5th, 2017, you say, are you on Facebook? A lot of our planning is happening in a secret chat. Do you see that? Answer, yes, ma'am. <coughs> Question, and when you're talking about planning, you're talking about planning events for Charlottesville 2.0, correct? Answer, probably so at this time period, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mr. Spaulding, can we show Mr. Kessler Plaintiff's Exhibit 1461B, please? All right, Mr. Kessler, I'm sure you'll agree with me. You posted an incredible amount on social media. Answer, yeah, way too much. And in Facebook, you went by the name Ambient Falcon, correct? At times, yes. So you recognize, you can see your name, Ambient Falcon here, and you're talking to a group of people. Do you see that? Yes. And just for the sake of the jury and all of us, the Facebook chats you have to read from the bottom up, whereas Discord posts you read from the top down. So in this chat, May 22nd at noon, you say, I just got off the phone with based Stickman and he's on board. Do you see that? Yes. And then you say, communists deserve to be culled. Do you see that? Yes. And then you say, there is no getting along. We have to fight for our future. Answer, right. Question, do you see that? Yes. Question, and at your deposition, you were asked whether Stickman, who we've identified as Kyle Chapman, who had struck somebody with a leaded stick, whether he ultimately attended Unite the Right, and you said he did not, correct? you remember that? Uh, answer, yes, that sounds accurate. Right, and you remember that you said he didn't want to share the stage with the less moderate people, correct? Answer, yes. And you were asked, the more extreme people want out as far as the tone of the rally, correct? And your answer, yes. Do you recall that? Answer, can you repeat that? You were asked the question, Mr. Kessler, and you gave this answer. And the more extreme people want out as far as the tone of the rally, right? Answer, yes. Answer, okay, I trust you. If you said that, if I said that, I said it. And so base stick man, he had to hit someone with a leaded stick. He is the more moderate in that statement. Answer, we're talking about ideologically. His politics are much more like a Trump supporter. He's not like a white advocate or something. Question, but you say more moderate. You're talking about based stick man as opposed to the people who Mr. Kalinick objects and uh, asked and answered. She finishes her sentence, ultimately attended. <clears throat> the court overrules the objection. I said when you 
talk about the more moderate. You're talking about base stickman as opposed to the people who ultimately attended. Answer, yes, base stickman's views, yes. Question, so ultimately, in addition to the secret Facebook chats, you had a Discord server for Charlottesville 2.0, correct? Yes. Question, we've talked about that a lot in this case. You're identified Mr. Kessler as the event coordinator and moderator for the Charlottesville 2.0 server, correct? Answer, I was definitely an event coordinator and a moderator. Question, as the event coordinator, you knew you had the ability to manage the channels and the messages, right? Yeah, there were some functions like that. Question, right, and you knew that you had the ability to do that. Yes. And you knew you had the ability to remove or ban members from the Discord chats, right? Correct, any moderator did. Right, and so if we see somebody posting in the Charlottesville 2.0 Discord server, that's someone you had the ability to ban, but you did not. Hey, answer, theoretically. Fair to say, though, right? Yes. From June 7th to August 11th, you're on the Charlottesville 2.0 Discord server every day, right? Probably, yeah. Well, not just probably, Mr. Kessler, actually, right? That sounds that sounds right. Okay. Mr. Spaulding, can we show the witness uh, Plaintiff's Exhibit 3458, please? Mr. Kessler, this is a post by you where you tell everybody on Discord that Unite the Right would also be known as the Battle of Charlottesville. Do you see that? Yes. And publicly, you did call it Unite the Right, but on Discord and privately, you called it the Battle of Charlottesville. Answer, it looks like I called it both the here. Question, but you don't disagree that publicly you didn't make posters that said the Battle of Charlottesville, right? No, I didn't make posters like that. Mr. Spaulding, can we show the witness Exhibit 968, please? And you recognize this to be a post by you as well, right? Answer, yes. Your Honor, move to uh, show 968 to the jury. Admit it. And you called Charlottesville in Discord the East Coast Berkeley, correct? Yes. And we recall that you had initiated this conversation in the post we saw earlier, where you said we need to have a Battle of Berkeley situation in Charlottesville. You remember that? Yes. And you tell everybody on Discord to assemble, let's say, every person you can. Do you see that? Answer, yeah. It says, assemble every motherfucker you can. All right, we can take that down, Mr. Spaulding. Let's show the witness 1455. Actually, we can show it, also show it to the jury. That's been previously admitted. This is the text exchange that the jury has already seen between Mr. Kessler and Mr. Spencer. It's a text exchange from June 5th of 2017. You tell Mr. Spencer that you're going to start promoting Charlottesville 2.0, Unite the Right, the Battle of Charlottesville. Do you see that? Yes. And if you scroll down in this text chain, you say to him, we're raising an army for, for my liege for free speech, but the cracking of skulls if it comes to it. You see that, correct? Yes. All right. Well, let's talk about the army. One of the first people that you reached out to is Matthew Heimbach, the chairman of the Traditionalist Worker Party. You remember that? No, I don't remember if he was the first one, but I did reach out to him. Right. You reached out to him on May 22nd, the day after you told everybody on Discord that you wanted to fight this shit out in Charlottesville. Does that ring a bell? If you say that's accurate, I have no reason not to believe you. Okay. Now, breaking away from the transcript for a moment. Had I one whiff of this bullshit, I would not have attended that fucking event. I certainly would not have told any of you to go there. Jason was unambiguously looking for a fucking fight, and not one in which he himself would shed his own blood, of course. You see plenty of videos of people fighting from that event. You do not see Jason putting his own body on the line in any of those brawls. The first time Jason gets hit is when he had the damn press conference after the event, 
at which he had every expectation of being safe there because he was surrounded by the police. It is beyond bizarre to think that Kalenic would not have explained to Jason in advance of his deposition, much less a trial, that seeking to frame one's violence as self-defense does not excuse him from actively seeking out a violent conflict. But in this exchange, Jason has basically confessed to the allegation of seeking a violent conflict. That phrase, the Battle of Charlottesville, was repeated ad nauseum by the plaintiffs at trial, as was the comment about an East Coast Berkeley. Having this intent at an event in which you are inviting neo-Nazis and calling them dangerous, it's arguable he has confessed to everything but conspiracy here already. And skipping ahead just a bit, it only gets worse. Jason actively planned with other people to get Antifa to come to the event and very intentionally hoped, planned for, made certain that they would attack us. He talked about leaking information to them. In the lead up to the event, they actually did this repeatedly. He talked about telling people to conceal their firearms with the specific intent of not scaring Antifa away so that a fight would ensue. He told people to bring weapons, knowing that he was also planning to make certain that they were attacked. On his permit application, he did not request street closers. He lied about the number of people he expected to attend, and he told other people to lie. There's your fucking conspiracy, I'm very sorry to say. Continuing from the transcript. Question. Now, this is a Facebook chat from June of 2017 with somebody named Colton Merwin, who was associated with the Maryland chapter of the Proud Boys. Mr. Merwin asks you, and remember, you have to read these from the bottom up. So Mr. Merwin asked you on June 28th, question, what's the situation with Antifa? Are they coming? And you respond, I don't know yet. I hope so. And then this is an anomaly on Facebook chat. Sometimes you can't tell who's saying it, but one of you says, I'm ready to throw down. Was that you or Mr. Merwin, do you recall? Answer, I don't recall. Question, and then you respond, it's really up to the Antifa to respond and not be pussies. Do you see that you wrote that? Yes. Quote, I would, uh, question, quote, I would suggest taunting them a little on social media. Do you see that? Yes. All right, Mr. Spaulding, we could take that down. Please show Mr. Kessler 3560. These are Mr. Kessler's posts. Mr. Kessler, these are your posts from July 14th in the Charlottesville 2.0 server uh, general channel. Answer, got it. If we could go to the page with the photo, thank you, Mr. Spaulding. All right, Mr. Kessler, your first post here asks, quote, anyone from New York can invite this guy to the rally? And then you post to a photo with a label that says, Antifa Manlet Emo Screamer. Nicholas says, meme Antifa to get them to play the event. Do you see that? Yes. Then you say, I want to talk shit, but as the event organizer, I can only do so much. People need to bully side them into confronting the alt-right at Charlottesville. Do you see that? Yes. Question. And you did not feel that as the organizer, you could bully side Antifa, correct? Yes. Well, I guess that's what I said. Is that what you said? Yes. 
Yes, and you would agree, Mr. Kessler, that as the organizer of the event, there were things you could not do, and instead other people would do them, correct? Answer, I don't know. It depends on the context. Question, I'm asking generally, as the organizer of the event, there were things that you did not do, and instead you asked other people to do them. Answer, I definitely delegated some tasks. Question, right, because there were things that you didn't want to do as the organizer, correct? Answer, I definitely delegated some tasks. So, Mr. Kessler, as the organizer of the event, there were things that you, like in the Discord post, you wanted to keep separate from yourself and you wanted other people to do them, right? Answer, I wouldn't agree with your statement like in this Discord post. I was horsing around there. This was not a serious discussion. Question, how about generally? Generally, yes, I did delegate some tasks that I didn't have time to do or whatever. Question, or you didn't want to do. You didn't think that you should do them as the organizer, right? Answer, I was very busy. I was fighting a battle with the ACOU at a certain point in the situation. I had serious duties. I was talking with the police. Okay. Mr. Spalding, would you show Mr. Kessler 1432A, please? Mr. Kessler, you'll recognize this as another Facebook conversation in the group RVA Anticom that you are a part of, yes? Let me look and make sure. I'm trying to do this quickly. I'll just stipulate that I'm in there. If you say so, we can get moving. Uh, Mr. Spaulding, if we could show Mr. Kessler the conversation that begins, we need a new way to tip off Antifa. Do you see that? And there's a bit more of this, but just remember that line, okay? Jason Kessler (laughs) is in a Facebook conversation with a bunch of guys who call themselves RVA Anthicom talking to them about how they're going to tip off Antifa. There's been a lot of discussion. How did they get into the Discord server? How did the Unicorn Riot get the leaks? Why did Emily Gorsensky know what we were doing before we did? I don't know. Does it have anything to do with the guy who was talking about, we need a new way to tip off Antifa? I have no way of being certain of that. But that sounds interesting to me, I'd say. All right, Mr. Kessel, on June 14th of 2017, you posted, we need a new way to tip off Antifa when we want them to show up somewhere. Someone who can send photos and tips to their members, either with a fake account or some apolitical normally who would do, normie who will do it on our behalf. And then Shane Good says, quote, I could probably get my girl to use her account to do it. Just let me know what to do. And then you respond, quote, that would be cool. We definitely want to play these people into our hands Saturday in Charlottesville. Do you see that? Yes, ma'am. And Saturday in Charlottesville is August 12th, right? Answer, I'm not sure about this because this was way back in June, so I couldn't say about that. Question, okay, so it's possible you're trying to get Antifa to come to other events before Charlottesville 2.0, and you're talking about some other event here, right? Answer, it's possible. My memory is not perfect on this issue. This is really in the weeds. Question. Okay, so you're going to deny that Saturday in Charlottesville is some other Saturday when you were planning some sort of event in Charlottesville. Mr. Kalenic objects. 
mischaracterizes what he said. He said his memory is not perfect on the issue. He didn't say he was denying anything. The court. Okay, you can ask him a question and clear it up. Question. Thank you, Mr. Kessler. You're going to deny that Saturday in Charlottesville meant Saturday, August 12th in Charlottesville. As I said, I don't remember. Let's show Mr. Kessler, Plaintiff's Exhibit 1034. You'll recognize this as a Discord post in the announcements channel of Charlottesville 2.0 Discord server, right? Yes, I do. Your Honor, move to admit Plaintiff's Exhibit 1034, court be admitted. So this is another message that you write to at everyone in the Discord server. It's from June 7th of 2017, and it's under the heading regarding self-defense. Do you see that? Yes, ma'am. You write, sticks and shields. I recommend you to bring picket signposts, shields, and other self-defense implements, which can be turned from a free speech tool into a self-defense weapon should things turn ugly, quote, end quote. You were referring here to picket signposts, shields, and other implements as self-defense weapons, right? Answer, they could be, they could potentially be if things turned ugly. That's the key phrase. Question, that's what you say, correct? Yes. Then, under the topic open carry, you say, please do not open carry. We want to avoid that optic both for the media and Antifa. We ultimately don't want to scare them from laying hands on us if they can't stand our peaceful demonstration. You see that? That's correct. <clears throat> now, real quick, there's more. This gets worse. So Jason's looking for an opportunity to tip off Antifa, okay? He's telling guys to bring these weapons, but he wants to make sure they don't look like weapons because he wants to make sure the fighting ensues, you see, okay? He wants to make sure that Antifa is not afraid of picking a fight because he wants the fight to happen. Jason responds, that's correct. Right, because it's fair to say that you don't want to scare Antifa away from laying hands on you and your group, right? Answer, ma'am, this is a common tactic that even Martin Luther King used was to put people out in front and be attacked. Your Honor, move to strike. The court, answer the question. Witness, yes. Yes is your answer? Yes. Yes, all right. Uh, let's show Mr. Kessler, Plaintiff's Exhibit 952. Question. You'll recognize this as another exchange with you and other people from the general channel of the Charlottesville 2.0 Discord server. Do you recognize that? If you scroll down, Mr. Spaulding, Mr. Kessler can see his name. Answer. I see my name is there. Yes. So these posts are from the next day, June 8th, on the Charlottesville 2.0 Discord server. Someone named St. Charles posts on June 8th of 2017, quote, It's not even about optics. If we want a chance to beat down Antifa, showing off guns so that's, that's just a screaming so that it's just a screaming match isn't the way to do that. If we want something decisive, we shouldn't have something deterring them from attacking us. Do you see that? Answer, I see. And if you go down to page 7 of this Discord chat, we can see your response. You say, I 100% agree with St. Charles. If you want a chance to crack some Antifa skulls in self-defense, don't open carry. You will scare the shit out of them, and they'll just stand off to the side. Do you see that? Answer, I see that. I said that, yes. Let's look. At Plaintiff's Exhibit 1461C, this is a Facebook chat involving you. Do you see that? Yes, I do. Okay. 
uh, all right. So you're here in this Facebook group chat with a group, Charlottesville Anticom. And again, we're reading from the bottom up. You read on, you write, I should say, on July 7, 2017 to at CJ Ross. Can you guys conceal carry? I don't want to scare off Antifa from throwing the first punch. Do you see that? Answer, Antifa throw the first punch. Yes, I do see that. You wrote that. Yes. You say, we are going to have lots of armed military vets in attendance, so we're not going to be lacking for firepower. Do you see that? Yes. And then C.J. Ross responds about the concealed carry. He says, some people are fighting him on that. They want to open carry. Do you see that? Yes. If that's the case, quote, uh, she quotes from the post, quote, if that's the case, perhaps we can get together with them and coordinate somewhere else to put them until anything breaks out. Do you see that? Yes. Do you see, now, I really, you need to think about that one for a second. Okay, guys, I understand that you want to carry your guns openly to avoid the violence. So what we need you to do is go hide over there so that we can get in this violent conflict, and then you guys can bring your guns over there after that, okay? That's a serious fucking problem. Answer, yes. And when it says put them, that's talking about the guns, right? Answer, this is another interrupts. So I just want to make sure. Answer, I don't know who this guy is. I mean, I talked to him, but it's been a long time. Question, okay, but I understand that you spoke to people who sometimes you didn't know their identities. I'm just asking in this post where he says some people want to open carry. If that's the case, perhaps we can get together with them and coordinate to put them somewhere until anything breaks out. And I want to ask you whether the term them is referring to the guns. Answer, it could be. I can't, I I can only speculate as to what another individual intended. Okay, well, let's look at your next post. You say, the main thing is, I just don't want a lot of big, scary guns out there that will keep Antifa away. I want them to start something. Do you see that, Mr. Kessler? Yes. Question, and you wrote, I want them to start something. That's what you wrote. Yes, ma'am. In July of 2017. Yes. Question, all right, we talked a little bit before about Derek Davis. You said that you acknowledged he was somebody you considered a friend, and he was also the regional director of the Traditionalist Worker Party. And I, just for the sake of the jury, I'd like to put up uh, Exhibit 2435 that's been admitted into evidence so that they can see who Derek Davis was. So that's Derek Davis, right? Yes. All right, Mr. Spaulding, if you would show Mr. Kessler Plaintiff's Exhibit 699. Mr. Kessler, you can see from this Discord chat that in the list of PR representatives who are going to work on Charlottesville 2.0, Derek Davis is the Traditionalist Worker Party representative, right? Answer, yes. And question, Mr. and you see that Mr. Klein is the Identity Europa representative, for example. Yes. Question, all right, Mr. Spaulding, can you show Mr. Kessler? Oh, I apologize. It moved to admit 699. It's admitted. Let's show Mr. Kessler Plaintiff's Exhibit 1444A, please. This is, you had quite a lot of Facebook messages directly with Derek Davis. You don't disagree with that, do you? I definitely talked to him a lot on Facebook. And sometimes it was just the two of you, right? Like in this conversation, it says at the top, conversation with Derek Davis. Looks that way, yes. 
And on June 7th, which was is actually the same date as some of the posts we were just looking at earlier, you say, quote, it may take a little extra prodding to get. I want to make sure Mr. Spaulding can find this. It's June 7th at 3.59. Quote, it may take a little extra prodding to get Surge, S-U-R-J, to the double horseshoe. Do you see that? Yes. And S-U-R-J is showing up, stand up for racial justice, right? That's the acronym. Yes, that's what it stands for. And the double horseshoe is a bar. Yes. And you say, I know how to make sure Surge shows up. You see that, right? Yes. You tell tell them you think we're with Richard Spencer. Yes. And Derek Davis says, all right, then you got anyone who could pass that pass for Spencer from behind. Do you see that? Yes. And then you say, I don't think so, really. There's only one Richard Spencer, right? You don't say that, but that's the case, right? I say, I don't think so, really. Right. And then you say, you put up a quote because this is what you're saying should be posted. Quote, Jason Kessler and his group of fascists are meeting with Richard Spencer right now at the double horseshoe. They're talking about the August 12th event. Do you see that? Yes. And Derek Davis says, quote, I was thinking along those lines, end quote. And that's something you wanted posted so that S-U-R-J would see it and go to the double horseshoe, correct? Apparently, yes. All right, let's move to 1444C. This is another chat between you and Derek Davis. Do you see that? Yes. Mr. Spaulding, if we could show to the witness and the jury, the text that or the chats that begin with, I think you need the two from the other page. It starts with, Should we alert Antifa for Thursday's meetup or just the Proud Boys event on Saturday? Do you see that? Yes. And Derek Davis says, your call up to you, right? Yes. And you respond, tell them something like Kessler's group is going, is meeting on the downtown mall Thursday night. Even more troubling is that he's organizing the neo-Nazi Proud Boys group to meet downtown on Saturday, presumably to plan for his August 12th rally. As we've already seen, militia leader based stickman has retweeted Jason Kessler about the event. Do you see that you said that? Yes. And that's the quote you're offering to be posted, correct? Yes. You also say we have to resist the Proud Boys coming to our city. Anyone who says that we should back down to these terrorists is supporting their violence and racism being normalized in our communities. That's what you're suggesting, Derek Davis. Make sure be posted, correct? Yes. One question on the Proud Boys that you refer to as neo-Nazi Proud Boys. You're a member of the Proud Boys at this time, correct? Answer very briefly, but I don't think that they're a neo-Nazi group. That was in all quotes. This is the way I view liberals as speaking about events. Question. I understand. And this is what you wanted posted. That's why it's in quotes, right? Yes. Okay. Let's show Mr. Kessler plaintiff's exhibit 1444D, please. This is another Facebook chat that you had with Derek Davis. Your Honor, we'd move to admit 1444D. The witness recognizes it. Be admitted. All right. So on June 18th of 2017, you write to Mr. Davis, do you have a poll or something I can wave this rebel flag from? Do you see that at the bottom? Yes. And Mr. Davis says, I mean, you can get a Walmart poll for like seven bucks. You say, I guess a thin poll would fit, but it seems made, it seems made to use those brass poll, brass, I'm sorry. I guess a thin pole would fit, but it seems made to use those brass holes. Then you say, he says, Walmart poles have brass grommet holders. And you say, is this the kind of thing you had in mind? Doesn't seem that aesthetic. Then Mr. Davis says, what are you talking about, my dude? Do you see that? Yes. 
And you say, flagpole. Yes. And then if we go to the next page, he says, you say something we can't see. And then he says, no, the, the cheaper one can be weaponized. Do you see that? That's what he says. Right. And he's talking about the flagpole, correct? Yes. Okay, we could take that down, Mr. Spaulding. Uh, Mr. Kessler, you would agree with me, wouldn't you, that it was important to be completely forthcoming with the police about Charlottesville 2.0, right? Yes. Excuse me. We'd like to show you text exchanges between yourself and Defendant Klein. They're 1458A through D, and it may be that the quickest way to do this is to hand them to you rather than try to show you four exhibits on the screen. That will take time. So I'm going to ask Miss Lawyer to hand to you or to hand the marshal, and just let us know, Mr. Kessler, if you recognize those text exchanges you had with Defendant Klein from July 11th. Yes. All right, Your Honor, move to admit 1458A through D, please. Be admitted. So the first message in this exchange is from you to defendant Klein saying, quote, cops want to talk to me about the rally. Do you see that? Yes. So in mid-July, the police had reached out to you and wanted to know your plans. Do you agree with that? Answer. Yes, I had many discussions with the police. Right. During this time as well. And you see that the next text exchange, Mr. Mosley says, just hold them off until we can talk about our plan a bit more. You see that? Yes. And then you respond, I told them all I can say is basic stuff about Antifa trying to disrupt our setup in the morning and block entrance to the park. You see that? Yes. And then in the next exchange, you respond to Mr. Klein to say it would be helpful to give them a security liaison who can tell them what we want them to know. You see that? Yes. Let's show Mr. Kessler, Plaintiff's Exhibit 1460D now. This is another Facebook conversation in which you participated. You can see your name there, right? Yes. Your Honor, move to admit 1460D, be admitted. <clears throat> and I'm going to direct your attention to the chats from July 18th of 2017. And actually, if you can get to the, uh, if you can get the those two and the one right above it, Mr. Spaulding, thank you. You say, if the police ask you how many people we have coming, don't tell them. If they think we have more than 400, they might be able to get the help to help the city pull our permit. Do you see that? Yes. I didn't want people speaking off the cuff and saying something that they weren't qualified to speak on, like attendance. That would screw up the legal issues. Question. So your testimony is you didn't want people talking about this because they weren't qualified? Answer. Yeah, they had no idea. People could just randomly speculate about it, and it wouldn't be based on anything factual. Question. Okay. And you say, just say you don't know. And then somebody with the name Wade Garrett says, are you guys aware of Cantwell's conversation with the Charlottesville PD? He replay he played a recording of it on his show last night. Sounds like she might have been fishing for an expected number of attendees. Do you see that? Answer, yeah. They were fishing for somebody to say the wrong thing about the attendance that they had no idea about. Like they would just randomly speculate and then they would use that to try and deny us our permit. Mr. Kessler, do you recall that after this in the Facebook chat, you say privately we can tout the 800 to 1,000 number. Better for our enemies to underestimate us. Do you remember that you wrote that? Answer, it's possible I said that at the time. That wasn't the actual attendance number, though. Those numbers fluctuated throughout the event. Question, we'll talk about that, but you certainly agree that it's possible that you said 
privately, they should tout the 800 to 1,000 number because it's better for our enemies to underestimate us, correct? Answer, can I see that? Question, we'll pull it up. I'm going to move on while Mr. Spalling and Ms. Lawyer find that for you. If you could look at Plaintiff's Exhibit 1396. Answer, it could have been a completely different time period. That's why I want to know. You're making it sound like these things were at the same time, so... Question, we'll find it for you. It's immediately after this. Let's look at Plaintiff's Exhibit 1396. This is another Facebook conversation. I apologize. This is a converse text between you and Augustus Invictus. Do you see this? Yes. In your text message to Augustus Invictus, by the way, who is Mr. Invictus? Answer, he is one of the, he was one of the scheduled speakers at the event. Question, and you say, if you get a chance to speak to Detective Kirby of the Charlottesville PD, if he asks you how many people are coming with you, say you don't know. Do you see that? Yes. This had to do with the legal issues surrounding the permit. When two parties are in, he is interrupted by her question. Uh, She interrupts him, says, your your honor, um, this is difficult to read sometimes. Trial transcripts are awful. Hang on one second. These things are nuts because, like, you know, the court reporter is attempting to transcribe crosstalk, and it doesn't work out very well. The court says, just answer her narrow question. Your attorney has time to ask you questions. You say to Mr. Invictus, if Detective Kirby asks you how many people are coming with you, say you don't know. You see that, correct? Yes, ma'am. So this doesn't pertain to the general attendees. These are people who were coming with Mr. Invictus. And you're saying, say you don't know. You see that, right? Answer, I see I said that. But the larger interpretation, I don't know if you're accurate about. Question. Okay, let's show you have this. All right. So, Mr. Spalding, please show Mr. Kessler where on Tuesday, July 18th of 2017, he says on the next page where he says, privately, we can tout the 800 to 1,000 number. Better for our enemies to underestimate that. You see that you posted that, correct, Mr. Kessler? Yes. Let's show Mr. Kessler, Plaintiff's Exhibit 3841. Mr. Kessler, this is your permit application for Charlottesville 2.0. Do you recognize it? Yes. Great. Um, uh, Your permit is for August 12th of 2017. Let's show the jury the date. You see that? Yes. It's for 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You see that? Yes. And if you look above that, there's a space where you can enter the location for which to enter, to, to which the permit applies, and it says Lee Park. You see that? Yes. It doesn't say anything where other than Lee Park, correct? That's what it says? It says Lee Park, yes. And if you look at the application as an option to request street closings, and you've checked no, you see that? Right. And the permit application also asks you to estimate the number of participants, and you say 400. Do you see that? Yeah, it looks like I did estimate that number. Yes, okay. We could take that down, Mr. Spaulding. So this was a complete fucking circus, okay? He's lying to people. He's tipping off Antifa. He's telling other people to lie. These are major fucking problems when you run into a situation like we went into. In his closing argument, Jason's attorney, James Kalinick, said, quote, the alt-right wanted to fight Antifa, but they wanted to do so legally. 
This amounts to a confession, and to hear a lawyer utter it was complete lunacy. I had to dispute this in my closing argument by saying, quote, you must look at me and my co-defendants separately. Mr. Kalenic told you that the alt-right wanted to fight Antifa, but they wanted to do so legally. I did not want to fight anybody, legally or otherwise, which is why I wore a body camera and insisted on close coordination with law enforcement. So if there was anybody who should have been thrown under the bus during this trial, it was Jason himself, and for him far more than James Fields, in fact. Everybody sought to distance themselves from James, and this was easy enough to do since none of us had any connection to James at all. I stood up, and in the last line of my closing argument, I said that I believed the man was innocent of the offense for which he was convicted, and that this is why I supported him. That, in fact, was the only defense we had to raise that we believed in the innocence of Mr. Fields. Assenting to the outcome of his sham trial and the guilty plea he subsequently accepted to avoid the death penalty only assents to the element of intent the plaintiffs had alleged. Being averse to this association after the man has pleaded guilty to murder does you no good when you are alleged to be his co-conspirator in the crime. Jason actually sought a violent armed confrontation. He brought in self-described racists to make the violent armed confrontation happen. He planned with others to make that violent confrontation with the racists occur. That covers every element of the accusation. I did none of these things, and yet I am held equally liable to Jason Kessler in this absolute circus of a trial where he ended up being the key witness for the fucking plaintiffs. His testimony was so bad that his lawyer did not want to cross-examine him. He had no questions for his client. He wanted him off the stand as fast as possible. People praise me for not throwing guys under the bus, and thanks for that. But I'll be honest with you, I'd have done a lot more than thrown Jason under the bus if I had known about any of this. I found out about what I just read to you in the fucking courtroom. Jason was the chief beneficiary of the plaintiffs keeping me in the fucking dark while I was locked up. If I had known what this little shit did, I wouldn't have just disavowed him. I wouldn't have just thrown him under the fucking bus. I'd have sued him my goddamn self. I'd have every right-winger who got hurt or had to hurt someone else that weekend, and I'd put together a team of plaintiffs, and we'd be fighting over the scraps of his fucking loser carcass right now with the Reds. But instead of getting thrown under the bus, Jason threw others under the bus. Such as in this exchange. Question, and Nathan DeBigo and Eli Klein were both leaders of Identity Europa, and they joined you and Mr. Spencer for weekly planning calls for Charlottesville 2.0. Answer, I don't think that's accurate. Question, all right, so in your deposition, Mr. Kessler, you were asked the question, you gave this answer, quote, and you had a weekly call with Mr. Spencer, Mr. D'Amigo, and Mr. O. I apologize, I'm reading someone else's deposition. Answer, yeah. Question, so if Mr. Klein said that he had phone calls with you and Mr. D'Amigo and Mr. Spencer, you're saying that's false. Answer, no, he's a liar. He's a known liar. (laughs) 
It warrants mention here that Jason didn't just state this plainly. He shouted it in the courtroom like he was afraid of something Klein had said and needed the jury to believe he was passionately denying it. There is no reason to believe that that's the case, since Jason has explicitly stated that he was a principal organizer, and even if the line about the conference calls was false, it's not like Jason can deny being a planner of the event. Worse than throwing his co-defendant under the bus, it made Jason look desperate and afraid, and since much of our case rested on the fact that Eli spoke to the cops in advance of the torch march, calling him a liar was very disadvantageous to our defense. If Jason hadn't participated in these calls, it would have more than sufficed for him to say that Mr. Klein was mistaken. And Mr. Klein had by this time stopped cooperating with the litigation, so there would have been nothing but his deposition to refute Mr. Kessler's denial. As for me, Jason had by this time figured out that it would be disadvantageous for him to throw me under the bus, but I come under the impression that he made that decision during the trial as a consequence of my performance therein. He probably planned to throw me under the bus. <clears throat> the, most Jace, don't, the most damage Jason did to me was during and in advance of the event and after. I had precisely zero to do with the planning of the Unite the Right rally. There was no evidence to suggest I was in any sort of leadership position. But Jason introduced me to the reporter from Vice. He told me to tell her that I represented the event. Although I had no leadership role, Jason sent me a text inviting me to a thing called a leadership meeting, and that is the only reason I attended it. In the wake of the chaos, he invited me to an after-party, as described in this exchange from the trial transcript. Question. I won't go through all of these, but just directing your attention to your next your text to Mr. Cantwell on August 12th at 2.18 p.m. you see that one? Answer. 11 Langford Place. Yes. Question, sorry, the other text that you sent him at 2.18 on August 12th. Answer, we're still meeting at the after party. That one? Correct. Yes, ma'am. It says, we're still meeting at the after party location, 5 p.m. Capacity is 150. So leaders and essential people only. We need to talk about how we move forward, potentially having a press conference in the near future to get our side of the story out. Do you see that? Answer, I see it. And 218 on August 12th, that's about a half an hour after the car attack, right? Answer, I don't recall exactly what time that happened. Question, it happened at 141, and you invited leaders and essential people, which included Mr. Cantwell, correct? Answer, yes. <clears throat> While there are plenty of reasons to be unhappy with Asmodor and the folks at the Daily Stormer, Jason's treatment of them during questioning was by no means helpful either. Question. This is a po Discord post from July 28th. It is a post by Robert Ray, who goes by Asmodore. He says he just got done with an hours-long chat with some of the event organizers and feels better about the thing. He says that, quote, the plan is the same, the gas, the kikes, PR war now, plenty of trolling and lulls. You see that, Mr. Kessler? Answer. Yeah, I see he said that. Question, right, but he's talking about the event organizers, and you and Mr. Klein were the primary event organizers, correct? Answer, we were, but Mr. Ray is a scumbag, and I was trying to keep him out of the event, so that's what he was referring to, is these people staged a mutiny against me and forced me to have this guy as part of the event. Ms. Dunn, your honor, move to strike the court. Sustained. Ms. Dunn, thank you. Question, Mr. Kessler, my question is whether this chat talks about an hours-long chat that Asmodore had with the event organizers. That's my question. Answer, 
All I can tell you is I see he said right there. Question, I do too. And you don't disagree that ultimately Robert Ray Asmador attended the event, right? Answer, yes, ma'am. Question, and you don't disagree that ultimately you agreed to that, right? Answer, I agreed to give him a limited speaking spot, yes. Question, you agreed to have him there, correct? Answer, I just said I agreed to have him a small speaking spot at the event. Question, right, and one of the reasons you did that is because you wanted the Stormers to be there, and you knew that if you lost Robert Ray, you would lose the Stormers. Answer, I don't think that's accurate. I think the reason was because he was threatening to have these people come in and say stuff like ask the kikes and do sig hells and stuff, and I was trying to keep that out of my event. The guy threatened that he would do that. Question, Mr. Kessler, my question to you is simply, did you want the Stormers to come to the event? Answer, at first I might have, but by the time I realized what this guy and his crew was about, I was not so hot on it. <clears throat> Question, okay, one other thing I want to ask about is this, Mr. Kessler. You don't dispute that Mr. Ray was there on August 11th, right? Answer, I've seen pictures of him there, so I believe he was. Question, right, and one of the pictures you have seen is this with his arm outstretched macing somebody, right? Yes. Question, right, something that you know that he has referred to as Gas the Kikes. You know that, right? Answer, I've heard you guys make that argument. He was a very bad person, and I don't think he should have been at the event. I'll never associate with him again. Question, okay, Mr. Kessler, my question was, well, actually, maybe I should just ask you this. Have you not seen the video where Asmador says on August 12th, quote, I personally gassed half a dozen kikes? Have you seen that with your eyes? Yeah, it was disgusting. Question, thank you, Mr. Kessler. Let's talk for a moment about your communications with other defendants. You produced your phone records in this case. They are voluminous, as you would expect. I'd like for you to identify them. <clears throat> are these your records? It looks that way, yes. Now, by the way, are you going to dispute these phone records or phone calls with Robert Ray? It could be, yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know if Kalenic explained this to Jason or not. But when you are accused of a conspiracy, it doesn't do you any good to say in the wake of the alleged conspiracy that you dislike your co-conspirator. The question is not how you feel about him today. That's actually completely irrelevant. The question is whether you conspired with him in the manner alleged. If you tell the court that your alleged co-conspirator is a bad guy, you are telling the court that at the time of the alleged conspiracy, you were associating with a bad guy. So Jason goes on this whole thing about Asmador being a problem, and then Ms. Dunn shows him the phone records where he's got the guy on the horn. It was very damning. When Kessler's lawyer, James Kalenic, cross-examined Richard Spencer, he went into some bizarre line of questioning to imply that Spencer sought to take over Identity Europa. The questioning was completely 100% irrelevant, but the plaintiffs did not object because they knew as well as I did that this was not helping our defense in the slightest. And this type of shit went on throughout the entire trial. I have not endeavored to find out about it, the details. But it has been reported to me that, you know, throughout the trial, he's posting to social media attacking his co-defendants as well. And so this is what Jason does, you see. Jason gets into trouble, creates problems. He deceives people intentionally. He conspires. He breaks the law. 
And then he blames everybody else for the outcomes of the problems that he created with all intent. That's what that's Jason Kessler, okay? And I would love, 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 love if I had had enough time. And I might have to return to this, in fact. To go really take a deep dive into Jason's social media, you know. The last time that Jason pissed me off, I forwarded a bunch of his posts to my own Telegram channel. And so there's some real there's some real funny stuff there. I just did a few recently. And I said this morning, one of the few suggestions I've seen is worth taking from Jason Kessler came moments ago when he suggested I share with you the following images. In the first, you'll see one which may be familiar from last month. In this, Jason informed me he was writing a book. While he was writing about me, he wanted me to name my accent. I asked very specifically not to appear in his Selly project, and Jason was, unsurprisingly, unwilling to heed my request. He said that he would just say he sounds like Family Guy because Jason is a fucking asshole and no matter what circumstances are, he will continue to ask people for favors and then setting fire to the relationships as soon as he doesn't get what he wants. Now, this exchange from November 14th that I'm referencing here came on the heels of Jason telling me off over the phone, okay? Jason contacted me about a post that he had at VDARE about the the Charlottesville prosecutions that are ongoing with this burning to intimidate horseshit, right? And as you know, one of the people being prosecuted in that in those cases is a fellow by the name of Augustus Invictus, who we've had on the show. And Jason asked me, have you been following these cases? And I said, well, no, Jason, you know, it's just, you know, there's I'm I, I'm peripherally aware generally of what's going on. But no, I haven't followed them in any detail. Well, you should, you know, you really got to you got to, you know, cover this. And I tell Jason, just matter of factly, like, I actually don't think that that's a, a very good use of my time. OK. There's actually not a whole lot of newsworthy stuff going on in Charlottesville. We understand that the government is in. The government in Charlottesville is a bunch of corrupt criminals, okay, and that they're maliciously prosecuting our friends and that they're doing so in complete contravention of the letter and spirit of law. All of that is very well understood. And I'm very upset about that. Believe me when I tell you, I'm friends with people who are being prosecuted down there. There are listeners of this show who are being prosecuted down there, and I'm very fucking upset about it. But I don't I don't pick what to tell you based on like the things that upset me, you know? I have to I have to come up with something that's going to produce an entertaining show, okay? <clears throat> and if I whine about every injustice ad nauseum saying the same thing over and over again, you know, this is not going to, you know, we're not going to have a, a podcast for very long. So I explained this to Jason and he says to me, well, you know, Augustus has this gag order. And I'm like, what do you mean gag order? Okay. And he's like, Augustus is not allowed to talk about the case at all. I say, well, that's unusual. You know, like, do you have the document for this? And he's like, no. And he's, he was like, and I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? He's like, have me on your show to talk about it. 
I'm like, well, you're saying that there's a gag order. Like, show, get the document. Show me the document. I don't have the document. I'm like, Jason, go get the document then. And Jason yells at me over the phone. And it's like, you need to listen to me. You don't understand what's important here. And I calmly say to Jason, Jason, I'm the host of the show that you're asking to come on. I decide what's important. You understand? And Jason does not understand that. He says, I don't give a shit about your fucking podcast. Well, good. Then don't ask to come on my fucking podcast and leave me to fuck alone. And I hang up the phone on him, okay? So that precedes this November 14th exchange that I posted a picture of this morning. Where he says to me, writing a brief biological sketch of you for a book I'm writing, you have a very distinctive accent. Is there a word for it? I respond, I don't want you writing anything biographical about me, please. He replies, it's a book about my experiences in Charlottesville. I have to write about every one of the speakers. I replied to him, you do not have to write a book at all. And if you do write a book, you do not need to write biographies of everyone involved. I am declining to answer your question and asking to be completely omitted from any book you are considering. He replies to me, very well, we'll just say, quote, sounds like Peter Griffin from Family Guy, and quote, audience will get it. So this little shit, okay, who has been throwing people under the fucking bus, who caused the fucking problems on purpose, is now has to write a book, and he has to write biographies of all the people he's been fucking over all these years, and he wants my assistance with that, and shockingly enough, I'm not, I'm not anxious to participate, you know, and he acts surprised at this. And he responds to me with this mocking horse shit. <clears throat> and then the fucking little fuck comes back to me today with this. <clears throat> I haven't spoken to him since then. He comes to me today. Covering the chemical attack on you by Mike Longo on August 12th would be helpful if I could have a few sentences from you about what it was like to experience that. <clears throat> I replied to him, I am not helping you stop asking which is the most polite response that I can give this motherfucker, right? Can I be any nicer than I am not helping you stop asking? After all that I've seen. Excuse me. He replies, why are you so angry with me? I tried to support you publicly. There's no reason to be this way. I respond to him that you need to ask is why I'm angry. You're completely oblivious to the damage that you do to all of your relationships. And you never stop to consider that your own behavior is the only constant feature of all these failures. He replies, all of my relationships, you've been talking to drug addict Dave and think you know something about me or maybe that obese cow, Hannah, your idea of girlfriend material. Now, (laughs) this is comical indeed. I have some idea who he's referring to by Dave. And to the best of my knowledge, Dave is not a drug addict. And I'm pretty sure that I have a better relationship with Dave than Jason Kessler does these days. 
Anna happens to be a, a mother of several beautiful children, okay? And, you know, uh, a woman might gain a few pounds, and of course, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's five kids. It might, it might be more than this, actually. In the course of giving birth to five white lives, you know, you pardon a woman for gaining a couple pounds, you know? And by the way, Hannah remains a beautiful woman, even with the weight that she'd gained in the course of giving birth to five white children. But this is what Jason Kessler does, you see, okay? And by the way, Dave, by the way, is a guy who stood up for Jason Kessler when when nobody else would, okay? So it's it's curious to me that he's got a problem with Dave. Something has happened between him and Dave fairly recently for Jason to be calling the guy a drug addict, okay? These are people who were friends with Jason, who helped Jason, who went out of their way to help Jason, who, who had their reputations harmed by associating with Jason. And, and they have nothing to do with this. The reason I'm saying that all of his relationships are a failure is because all of his relationships are failures. And like he publicly complains about all of them, as a matter of fact. It's not something that I'd have to go and privately inquire about. He's always saying so. <clears throat> but because Jason can't help but create more conflict, but because, because Jason is always in conflict with somebody, these two names come to his mind when his failed relationships are mentioned, and so he brings them to me and insults these fine people. I, re I respond to this, don't make me block your number. And of course, those of you who have seen the Telegram posts of this have something of a spoiler in that... <laughs> The, the indication that I've already blocked Jason is now visible on the screen because <laughs> I took the screenshots after blocking him. He replies to me, I've got a better idea. Why don't you go whine about me on your telegram again? Very masculine move, tough guy. You mean nothing to me. I didn't even post about you. You are as emotional as a woman. It's why you, are, it's why you ended up in prison. So remember this, you know, this exchange begins with Jason Kessler asking me for exposure, right? He wants to come on my show and I've rejected him because he can't bother to go and get a document from the, the, court, the courthouse website, you see. And because of that, this exchange begins in which Jason Kessler goes from asking for favors to you're a fucking complete piece of shit and I hate you in the blink of an eye because that's what Jason Kessler does. And ever since then, he comes to me, asks for my help, and I decline to give it to him, and he immediately goes into things like this. You're as emotional as a woman, it's why you ended up in prison. No, you fucking prick. I ended up in prison because you intentionally got me involved in a fucking war. That's why I ended up in prison. That's the entirety of the reason that I ended up in prison is because of fucking you. I say, then don't write about me in your gay book. He replies, you are part of the story whether I like it or not, and I just want to try and do your perspective justice. I replied to him, if I did what you wanted, you'd be speaking much differently. You're a petulant child, and nobody who works with you leaves better off for the experience. I'm fucking done with you. 
He replies to me, I'm an adult. I run a real business that helps people. I don't whine for people to buy stuff for me on Amazon. At this point, he's blocked. And so I have no fucking idea what he said after that. And of these three images that I just read to you, I say this on Telegram. In these three, you see today's conversation, which further demonstrate his social ineptitude. Jason appears completely oblivious to the problems he has created with his prior outbursts. He finds it totally surprising that I do not want to help him with the project I have already refused to help him with, and in which he specifically stated he would speak about me mockingly as revenge. Notice the pattern because it is remarkably consistent, and if you ever work with Jason Kessler, you'll have an identical experience. Everyone who works with him has the same experience. Step one, Jason asks for help. Step two, Jason does not get what he wants, or even if he is granted the help he requests, he fails anyway. And three, Jason viciously attacks the person whose help he requires. This happens with all of his relationships. It is why he is completely alone and nobody in their right mind will work with him. It is why he rejects white nationalism and talks about dating non-white women after being rejected by every white woman he has ever approached. It is why he blames his loss of Telegram followers on bots. It is why he immediately threw his co-defendants under the bus at the Sines v. Kessler trial. He is a childish, toxic, stupid fucking loser. And if you have anything to do with him after this warning, you will have earned the suffering that this causes. So let's... Take a couple of Jason's social media posts. Let's go read a couple of things from Jason's Telegram, give you an idea of what Jason's doing unprovoked. In this one, Jason says, ultimately, white nationalism does not speak to my primary issues as a white man. I'm not sitting around quaking in my boots over black crime. There are no Jews or illegal immigrants who are directly standing between me and what would make me happy. The only people who have what I want are white women. I want to have a loving family. No Jew is withholding what I want. No black is withholding what I want. No illegal immigrant is withholding what I want. The fact that I can be reasonable, the fact that I can be a responsible, hardworking white man and nowhere in my life come anywhere near white women who might want to fall in love and have a family is a material problem for me and one that white nationalism does not address. No, posting pictures of white women and asking, aren't they beautiful, does not address the issue. No, posting endless pictures of white families and asking, aren't they great, does not address the issue. No, insulting white men by telling them to man up or some other feminist garbage does not solve the problem. There is no way to get around the fact that white women seem to be all seem to all be either left-wing lunatics or hyper-religious nutters, and that they go out of their way not to be available to single men. They are literally the only race of women that crosses the street when a single man is walking on the same side of the road as them. Now, I understand all too well that the terrible things going on in our world have wrought absolute fucking havoc on the women of our society. And I think that's a terrible, tragic fucking thing. And if you want to know how fucking tragic I believe that to be, become a SurrealPolitics.com member and then go to ChristopherCantwell.net and read Nearly Was Radical Agenda Stage 6 Episode 8 sex and the hate, and you'll read about 
my reading of Kathy Reisenwitz and a really fucking disturbing thing that happened between me and another woman since I've been out of prison, okay? And I understand that plenty of people who are listening to the sound of my voice right now are frustrated with the dating market. (laughs) I understand that too well. But this idea that Jason doesn't have access to white women and that they are therefore the source of Jason's problems and that therefore white nationalism is horseshit, well, you know, I've heard of better reasons for rejecting white nationalism than that, let's say. His Telegram channel talks about this, second only to the Unite the Right rally, okay? And that's the big fucking joke. He goes on to say, you cannot be a white nationalist if you have irreconcilable differences with white women. If you are a white man and have no conceivable way to meet single white women, you have much bigger and more immediate issues that can then can be blamed on any Mexican black person or Jew. This is an internal problem within our race that few of our women seem particularly concerned about falling in love and having a family. Now, you know, again, I don't mean to diminish the larger, broader problem, but So long as there is such a thing as sexual selection, so long as women are choosing suitable mates, Jason Kessler will rightly be excluded excluded from reproduction, okay? It's not true that there's somebody for everybody. The whole entire point of, like, (laughs) the selective process is that not everybody gets to have fucking offspring, Jason. And your fucking behavior and your congenital incapacity to empathize with others, to cooperate, to understand the damage that you do to your relationships. It makes it a perfectly reasonable thing that no woman wants to be with you. And if you can find some affection in the arms of a non-white woman, well, you know. That's a matter of you lowering your standards to meet your circumstances, isn't it, Jason? And we can understand you doing that, you know? That's understandable. I'm not even holding it against you. Those are very powerful drives, you know, to survive, really. (coughs) But that's not a problem with nationalism. It's a problem with you, dude. And so here's another one of Jason's great Telegram posts that demonstrate both his simultaneous ineptitude for and devotion to being deceptive. If you know anything about Jason Kessler, you know that the Unite the Right rally was the best thing that ever happened to him, unlike the experience of so many others, of course. In his pathetic life, this was his moment in the sun, you see, the day that people actually paid attention to him, even if all for all the wrong reasons. Jason has been trying to relive that day ever since and has talked about almost nothing else save for his frustration with white women, of course. And as he sits to pen a book in which he slanders his co-defendants and acts as though he is blameless in all that he has done to make this go wrong, like he did at the trial that bore his name, he insists that this is the last thing he wants to speak of. No, he's not desperately clinging to what little this can do for his starved ego. No, this is merely his duty. 
And since nobody believes that nonsense, everyone who reads the following post knows that he is a liar. Quote, the last thing in the world I thought I wanted to focus on was Charlottesville, he says. Now, you could be forgiven for not knowing this, but if you know anything about Jason Kessler, this is all he talks about. But he continues, but the truth is my upcoming article is going to have details which could and should demonstrate the profound courtroom prejudice toward the A11 protesters and, I believe, provide justification for overturning guilty pleas, bond rulings, and lead to the recusal of members of the court. The evidence is profoundly more direct than what I found about the law clerks in the signs case. I have a moral obligation to act in such a circumstance when a few others will. You will also see the likely courtroom insider who has been giving Antifa bloggers unprecedented access to the courtroom happenings before the newspapers and themselves are aware. So, this actually isn't about the book, now that I realize. Take a closer look at what I'm reading. But this brings us to something that I do need to address before we're done here. Almost everybody has already cut Jason off. There's only one place that still gives Jason a voice, and that's VDARE. And I understand there's a number of people involved with it, but I, I think it's accurate for me to say that's run that outfit's run by a fellow by the name of Peter Brimelow. And everything that I know about Peter Brimelow says that he's a good guy. So I don't mean to attack Mr. Brimelow's character by pointing this out. I also understand that somebody's got to be keeping J.C. Kessler afloat, you see. He's talking shit to me about, you know, people buy me shit on Amazon. When I went down to meet Jason in Virginia, you know, he basically said he had a wealthy benefactor down there. And I come to suspect in the aftermath of all this that that benefactor is Mr. Brimelow. Now, I might be wrong about that, okay? But I do know that V-Dare has given this guy a voice and that this guy threw all his co-defendants under the bus and created the problem that created the trial, okay? Any of you got, like, Brimelow or other ears over there? I, I'm not a, you never see me do this, okay? But this guy needs to be stopped, okay? Nobody should be giving this guy a, a voice. Nobody should be amplifying anything that this shithead does. And they certainly shouldn't be fucking paying him for it. And so, you know, this is literally the first time you've ever seen me say this. Get this fucking guy, whoever's fucking voicing him, tell them to fucking stop. Cut it the fuck out. There's no excuse for continuing this shit. What he did at that trial, followed by the fucking... He created the fucking circumstances that created the trial. He caused the whole fucking problem. And then he throws everybody under the bus at the fucking thing, and now he's writing a book where he's going to slander everybody in the process. That guy should fear for his fucking safety, for Christ's sake. He certainly shouldn't be running around fucking publishing blog posts on on prestigious publications like the pages of VDARE, frankly. So. 
Let's take a call. Call, are you on the radical agenda? What's your agenda? Oh, hey, buddy. Uh, just uh, trying to catch bits and pieces of this, but uh, I'm just, uh, geeking out on me. So uh, from what I have caught, it uh, seems like it's all pretty scorched earth on uh, old Jason Kessler. It uh, seems like uh, you got a legitimate uh, argument there. and A lot of things you said, uh, you know, what you was reading from court documents. Uh, you know, <laughs> doesn't sound too good. But uh, I've just recently, uh, over the past year or so, kind of uh, tried to get uh, as much information as I could about the, uh, the Charlottesville deal and everything. You know, I got uh, familiar with you and uh, Kessler. And, uh, you know, I've seen recently where, you know, this is six years ago, and the guy who was holding feet towards you, you know, get hunted down and get his life ruined. Uh, and I'm not trying to stir anything up here. I'm just, you know, sincerely curious. Uh, Mike Enoch uh, got his, everything dismissed. And uh, there's the, you know, the rumor floating around. And, and I read a lot about it where, uh, you know, they were trying to get him to uh, release uh, all the information from uh, the people who who were subscribed to uh, his show and you know all the information uh, that he had on them, and uh, I didn't know if you were obliged to talk about it or uh, what your opinion is on it. I've never uh, I can uh, I, I understand you your question. And I'll answer it. So I. I, I actually do not have any information on what, if anything, Mike Enoch and TRS were compelled to produce in Discovery. That part I cannot speak intelligently to. I just literally don't okay. have the answer to it, okay? Um, I can say that in my review of the Discovery, I never saw a TRS member list. Uh, nothing of the sort was brought to bear as evidence of the trial. Those two things I can say. But I do not know if Mike, com Mike Enoch was compelled to provide anything in discovery. I actually don't know the answer to that question. What I do know <clears throat> is that Mike's, Mike's, the claims against Mike in the civil lawsuit were dismissed on the grounds that Mike Enoch was not accused of anything for which the plaintiffs could recover damages, Okay. And you can verify yeah. that if you read the complaint, okay? Now, if you could get conspiratorial and say that this was their plan all along, you know, but the truth of the matter is that, like, you know, if you if you followed the case closely enough, it, it makes perfect sense. Mike was not involved in any fighting. Mike didn't tell people to bring weapons. Mike didn't, like, Mike, Mike was not involved in anything that, that they accused us of being involved in. Okay. He wasn't at the meeting where you know, like he, he was a guy, yeah. all he was accused of doing was participating in the event, like that he was an invited speaker and that he showed up and that he promoted it. Well, what was his, uh, what was, what was his charge? Was it the same? Was he, well, no, know, he was never, he was never charged. Charges? He was, he was lumped in as a co-defendant with us in the six, um, in these six claims in a civil lawsuit, okay, he was never charged with a crime, but he was he was he was among the people who were accused by the plaintiffs of participating in a racially motivated violent conspiracy, okay, and so we all said yeah. we all said, hey, they're just persecuting us for freedom of speech, and each one of the defendants 
who was who who remained a defendant after the initial motion to dismiss you know if you read the if you read the judge's decision they say i don't i can't tell you what he said about each individual yeah. defendant why they were why they stayed as defendants but like the judge articulated for each defendant why okay and in my case yeah, it, i did read where he said that uh, pinovich wasn't you know participating in the violence you know it, it was I, it I was he that. was not even accused of it in the in the document you see so like you know all they had to do was accuse him plausibly of basically anything all that's required for you to remain a defendant in a civil lawsuit all it's required to survive a motion to, to dismiss at that phase because the motion to dismiss is failure to state a claim okay so so you say even if everything the plaintiffs allege is true they can't claim damages from my client because they've not stated a claim in their suit okay that's the only reason that a person gets dismissed at that stage and that is why enoch was dismissed was because all they said was he went to the place and he promoted the event and for this they cannot claim damages and that's that's an accurate statement you know and so like yeah, yeah. there's really nothing suspicious about that the only way that you can get suspicious about it and i'm not saying that you should i'm just the only i'm just acknowledging something you know for for the sake of being completely straightforward if you were going to say that there's yeah. something suspicious about that it's that they did not accuse him you see you know what i'm saying so like <clears throat> you know yeah. they they put him in the lawsuit he gets dismissed they've made these outrageous ap accusations against all of us but you know there are always event there were always things that they could tie to us okay and in my case obviously you know there's a picture of me pepper spraying a guy that's not first amendment protected activity if i'm unjustified right i'm being prosecuted for this right. criminally that's that's there's a plausible allegation i can't just say that there's failure to state a claim you see you know is well, it, out of everyone that was, you know, lumped into this lawsuit and accused, you know, and brought in on this, uh, I mean, how many people, uh, you know, still got hit even though they weren't involved in any kind of violence? Well, the thing is, if you read, if I, I don't have the answer to this off the top of my head to say very, say very specifically, but there were specific points made by the judge. Here's what he did where he crosses the line it, it, according to the plaintiff's accusation of course right what the judge says is if uh, uh, he's he explains at the beginning of the decision which is a standard fair thing in this in this process if you know the, he has to for this purpose assume that what the plaintiffs say is true and so if what they say is true they say he did this and this is actually not protected by the first amendment he did this and this is not protected by the first amendment he did not do anything yeah. that is not protected by the first amendment and therefore he is dismissed and so that's that's articulated for each indif individual defendant in that in that decision on the motion to dismiss okay and like yeah well, yeah, I understand, uh, but there was a guy recently uh, that was charged, you know, six years later for holding tiki torch. I mean, is that uh, not protected under the First Amendment? I mean, what was he violating? Well, but here's the thing, right? So that guy, so the charge at the time, the, the allegation of the lawsuit was not burning to intimidate. And to the best of my, I'm not, I don't think that, I, I have no information to suggest that Mike Enoch was even at the torch march, right? So, like, right. you know what I'm saying? So, like, there's guys who are being charged criminally today for things that they weren't even sued for by the plaintiffs, all right? And, you know, yeah, like, there's yeah, abuses I mean, of the I'm legal not, system. I'm, 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 I mean, I'm not trying to stir any shit up here. I just, uh, you know, like, I read, you know, statements that they had on the show and 
well, it's kind of like similar things. Are, are you are, now? Hang on a second. So, are you? Are you're articulating that in advance of the event, Mike Enoch told people to bring weapons? Are you stating that as a factual matter? Uh, well, I mean, that's what I read. Where did uh, you read that? Uh, I forget what publication uh, they had him quoted in uh, one of his. Uh, I think it was the Daily Show, maybe or or something like that, uh, where he was, you know, making those statements. So. And then, and then, you know, I don't know, I believe the whole uh, deal where they brought up about him releasing the information from all his uh, followers and people who were subscribed to him, uh, you know, all that kind of came out. And then it seemed like it got dismissed. And, you know, again, like, I'm not trying to stir some shit up here. I'm just saying, you know, so I've been I, through, I think that, uh, uh, the, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you. Okay. And I'm sorry. I, I'm actually going to drop your call. Okay. It, there's actually there's it's 100 percent certain that Enoch did not give up like a user list that did not happen okay um, I, I do not know what if anything Mike Enoch was forced to give up in discovery but I even remaining a defendant was not compelled to do that all right so that's an inaccurate statement the the, the statement that Mike Enoch gave the plaintiffs a user list or something that definitely didn't happen. And so you might be misinformed. I'm not accusing you of calling here to be a bad actor necessarily, but but you're definitely stating falsehoods on the radical agenda, and I can't allow you to continue doing that. So I don't know. You know, I'm I'm reasonably confident that I'd have heard about that. <laughs> you know, there are. You know, a lot of things that we were forced to give up. You know, I had to give up all my email communications, all my text messages that pertain to the event. Then, then they were like, oh, they're not, since we don't have evidence of a conspiracy, they need to hand over their phones and stuff. And they, and they imaged our phones, you know. And so, like, a, a lot of data ended up in these people's hands, all right? And there was nothing that we could do to prevent that. Short of committing a felony, you know. And so, you know... When you're on, when you're online, you know, when you're involved in anything, if a lawsuit occurs and subpoenas start flying around, don't think that guys are going to commit a felony to keep your secrets, okay? I'm definitely not going to do that, okay? I'm not going to commit a felony to keep your secret, all right? Unless you and I are involved in a criminal conspiracy, I'm not going to commit another crime to protect you, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, and since I don't participate in criminal conspiracies, there's zero chance <laughs> that I'm going to be involved in one with you, right? So don't expect me to commit a felony to keep your secret. And <laughs> you shouldn't expect anyone to do that, right? Like, that's that's nuts. That's crazy. The idea that, you know, you would think that somebody owes it to you to commit a felony to, to keep your identity a secret, okay? But that's but there's no information that TRS handed over a member list or any of that stuff. That that is a false allegation. And so, you know, if you got things to complain about TRS, I'm sure there's legitimate things to complain about. You know, I'm not I'm not anxious to carry water for these guys. And I, it's funny to me that like I end up doing that anyway. Because it's not something that I'm particularly anxious to do. They're my business competitor, you know, like I actually, you know, I stand to gain substantially from their misfortune, you see. All right. But 
not if I do that in a disreputable way, such as by, you know, allowing false allegations to go unanswered from callers, okay? And so I think that whatever your, you know, troubles with them, there's probably better ways to handle it. So let me go read some super chats here. Libertariat sends 1433. Chris has the receipts. Real Tony Soprano, 1433. Thanks for making this episode. This is way overdue. Sounds like Kessler really fucked up. It's hard to play the victim while you're simultaneously inviting conflict. This is actually quite embarrassing. Anyone who fails a physiognomy check has no business being a leader or organizer. Maybe next time sends $3 Christmas fund. Christmas fund indeed. And so uh, anybody who wants to uh, uh, shower me with gifts, there's plenty of ways to do that. You know, I got to say... If you're thinking of showering me with gifts through the Amazon wishlist, that's fine. You can go to uh, ChristopherCantwell.net slash gifting. Uh, we'll tell you how to do that. But I could use money a lot more than more Amazon packages, if I'm honest with you. So please do. Fork over shekels, friend. ChristopherCantwell.net will tell you all the ways to do that. I love that crypto stuff. Uh, and all you crypto guys, you're rich now, right? You guys got wealthy over the, you know, the last few days. Your money's worth like, you know, 30% more than it was a couple of weeks ago. It's a fine time for you to send Bitcoin, Monero, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, uh, uh, Litecoin. I will take any of that weird crypto shit you have. Like, I don't care what it is. Like, I'll take all that stuff and I'll convert it if I need to. But if it's like, I'll take a look at what you send me. And if it's, you know, if it looks like it might be worth the shit, I'll hold on to it, you know. I like that Monero stuff because, you know, it shows that the person who sends it is fucking serious, you know. Uh, so thank you to all of you who do uh, do the cryptocurrency thing, and especially those who, of you who hand some over in the near future. Uh, and uh, gibsongo.com slash SPM will help you fund Surreal Politics Media, which fundamentally pays all of my bills. And uh, uh, you can send me money through Cash App. My ha my cash tag is Edgy Chris. If any of you are on Strike Payments, I've got Strike Payments. I'm Cantwell on there, easy enough to find. And if you're not on Strike Payments, maybe you should get on there. Even if you don't send me any money right now, like you know, we've had a lot of problem with payment systems over the, over the years, and it's probably pretty reasonable for you know people to get on payment systems like. Uh, strike payments. I even got Gab Pay, whatever. You know, I make it very easy to pay me. I guess is what I mean to say. Um, you know, in all but the uh, in all but the amounts. Of course, you know, if you want to pay me what I'm worth, then you know that could be very expensive and that might be difficult to do. But whatever you want to send, that's really. I'm very grateful for all of it. So, but I'm even just grateful for your attention. Obviously, I should say. You know, and if I don't have enough of your attention yet, then you should get on my emailing list at ChristopherCantwell.net/slash/subscribe. Excuse me. And so thank you for that attention. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for staying with me through all of this shit. I really, that means more to me than you probably know. And I will be back to do it again this Monday, this Wednesday, and the Friday after this one, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 9.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And I'm really looking forward to next Friday because... Boy, do I got a fucking doozy for you. <laughs> I thought maybe if I got done with this before the end of the show today, that maybe I'd do it anyway. But I really got a fucking doozy for you, boy. <laughs> do not miss. I'm telling you, like, 
I don't do this to you. If you pay attention to this show, you know what I'm talking about. I do not do this to you. Do not miss next Friday's show, okay? I don't just say, oh, you don't want to. I don't do this every week. I don't say, oh, my God, the next episode, you got to see. I don't do that for every episode. Next week, if you miss the live show, you're going to be worse for the wear. I'm telling you, okay? So be here next Friday, 9.30 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And, you know, like, if you guys, you know, I mean, you guys still listen to the show at other times. There's thousands of you, and I appreciate that. <clears throat> Tune into the live shows. Give me a fucking call. Do you remember, you know, you guys have been on the phone. You guys have been with me for a long time. Most of the people here have been with me a very long time. I'm very fortunate to have new listeners, but the, those of you who have been with me for a very long time constitute the vast majority of this audience. And you know that this show was at its absolute fucking best when the goddamn phones were lit. And that would dur- that would certainly be the case. And we'd have more listeners if we had more callers. So those of you who are listening at other times, you know, try to get, do, do yourself and me a favor. Your show, the show that you're enjoying right now, will definitely be more entertaining if I have more callers, which will mean that I will get more listeners, which will mean that I will get more shekels, okay? And, I, you know, those shekels. Three extra shekels. I need more than that, Mr. Trump. <laughs> you know, I need you guys to call into the show. You know, I, I, it's not often that I am so fucking pissed off at some fucking prick that I can talk straight the whole, whole two goddamn hours, okay? So give me a call, listen to the live show, give a call, fork over some shekels. You've got all the instructions that I can give you. We'll be back Monday. Thank you very much for tuning into the Radical Agenda. Have the best weekend with the ones you love. Good night. That's it, it's over. Then we organized the death squads for the people who wrecked America. You know what you call people you can't talk to? Enemies. And if we want to divide our society into armed camps of enmity, all we have to do is keep doing what we're doing. A radical agenda. The event has turned into an opportunity for the left to push a racial and radical agenda. Implementing their radical agenda is the only thing they care about. They're bad actors. What they want to do here is ram their radical agenda down your throat. These are great Americans. These are people that want to see great things for the country. You know, they try and build them like uh, sort of a radical agenda. It's not a radical agenda. It's called the Second Amendment. Fuck you, Amy.